Hey everyone, I'm Nate Vinio, and this is Something to Gnaw On, a short podcast for those with a short attention span or just short on time. It's designed to give you something to mentally and spiritually chew on throughout your day, a Bible study in bite-sized form, if you will. And occasionally, it may look like my journal. This episode is The Ripple Effect. Every junior high boy needs a friend like Kevin. I doubt most moms would agree, but there are lessons in life that only a Kevin can teach. Kevin would teach me physics lessons on momentum and inertia, like the time we raced down his dirt driveway in his two-seater go-kart as fast as the Briggs & Stratton motor on the back would go, and he'd take a random left turn, launching me out the right side. No seatbelt. No helmet. No problem. I survived. When I was in the eighth grade, Kevin called and asked if I wanted to go fishing in his boat. And I need to add here that the term boat should be used quite loosely. It was a nine-foot Livingston dinghy. I was about to get another lesson. This time, it was Boating 101. Kevin had visions of grandeur. So we met up to launch the dinghy at Tramp Harbor at high tide. This high tide reference is a significant tidbit of information. This part of Tramp Harbor is very shallow at high tide, and about 200 yards of mud and barnacle-covered rocks at low tide. To get past this shallow, muddy area where the fish are, we had to row what seemed like a couple hundred yards, and we tied the dinghy off to another boat owner's buoy. Boat owners in that area are smart enough to tie off their boats and to set their buoys far enough out to avoid being dry docked in the mud. It was a calm day, a sunny day, and we were doing exactly what we wanted, chilling in a boat. We had pop, snacks. We had a bucket of herring, the stench of which you eventually get used to, a knife, two fishing poles, and two personal flotation devices. And in the event you are unaware, junior high males, like us, tend to have an invincibility complex. So if I was betting on it while the personal flotation devices were present, I'd say we probably weren't wearing them. Nonetheless, we sat there in the dinghy tied up to the buoy some 200 yards offshore, catching nothing but sun in Tramp Harbor, looking across the Puget Sound watching planes land at SeaTac International Airport, watching all the little boats and the sailboats pass by, as well as one of the largest freighters I had ever seen. It was a gunmetal gray Hyundai car hauler, and it was headed towards Tacoma. I'd seen ships run that channel on a regular basis, but none this big. Easily the largest ship I'd ever seen. In my mind's eye, it dwarfed the fully loaded container ships you see. At the same time, it just seemed to inch along. And before long, we got bored and we returned to not catching fish. I would guess that it was 30 to 45 minutes later that our boat got launched towards the shore by the first of the waves coming from the wake of the freighter. We never saw it coming. The first wave launched us towards the shoreline, which wouldn't have been a problem as there are those who surf these waves around the Puget Sound on surfboards the size of our dinghy. And we could have rowed it to shore except we had tied off to a buoy. 
When the next wave hit, we started taking on water because the buoy had kept us from being able to crest the next waves. Without deliberation, one of us tossed the herring overboard and started using the bucket to bail water. The other cut the rope with the fillet knife. I don't remember how long it took to cut the line. It's all a blur. But obviously, we survived the next five to seven waves, riding the last ones to shore. In retrospect, it could have been pretty bad. Had either of us gone overboard in the panic, or if the boat had taken on too much water and sank, you deal with what's called cold shock, which is often the cause of drowning. Side note, let me lay a little science on you. Scientifically, it's called cold shock response, and it happens when there's a sudden and significant drop in skin temperature, resulting from sudden immersion in cold water. It initiates what's called cardiorespiratory reflexes. It initially produces two to three gasps per air, followed by uncontrollable hyperventilation and a sensation of breathlessness. This involuntary inhalation isn't a problem unless your head is underwater when those first breaths occur, which is the major reason to wear your personal flotation device. With all that in mind, we decided to call it a day. We blamed it on the fact that we no longer had any bait, but the truth of the matter was that we were wet, cold, and a bit freaked out by the adventure. All we caught that day were waves, literally. We didn't catch any fish, not so much as a nibble, but surviving this day has left its mark. You either crest the waves or the waves crush you. You either learn to ride the waves or you get drowned by them. The pilot of that freighter had no idea we were there. No idea that the consequences of his everyday job would wreak havoc on our little Livingston. No idea that a couple of 8th grade punks with a net IQ of 72 were tied up where they shouldn't have been several miles away. There's no real fault to cast. Ships run that channel daily. Ultimately, we should have known better. The ripple effect isn't always about fault. Sometimes it's just consequence, and that's the point of this episode. If ever there was a character in the New Testament that had an effect of a freighter, one would certainly be Paul. This is the theme in the early church. Look at any community that Paul visited. The unsuspecting community is cruising along at a calm pace, and then the freighter arrives. The ripple effect of the gospel saves some, and it sinks others. Everyone is affected. The question is not if the waves come. It's do we crest the waves, and how do we ride them out? Think through what happened in Philippi. You can check it out in Acts 16. All is well in that happy little hamlet until Paul arrives and shares the gospel. Many are saved, lives are changed, a demon-possessed girl is set free. And when the lives of those who are not saved are upset financially by those that God has set free, they take it out against Paul and Silas, beating them and imprisoning them. Paul's freighter creates waves. Likewise, the unbelievers create waves. Those who profit from idolatry create waves, and pretty soon you have the perfect storm in Philippi. When Paul writes the book of Philippians, he does so from the confines of a Roman prison cell. 
to a group of converts that were riding out a storm that he helped create. It's a bit ironic, really. They needed the message of the gospel to be saved, but the message creates a new danger. This new danger is demonically designed to sink the new believer's boat. Paul's message is clear. You have to cut loose of your old life to crest the waves. You have to cut loose of your old ways to learn how to ride out the storm. If you fail to cut loose of the buoy, you will sink. Quickly, there are two themes that Paul uses in Philippians to cut loose from the buoy. First, let's read from Philippians 1, 27. He says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know, and here it is, that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. The first key is that we've got to get rid of an independent spirit. We are not in individual boats. We are all in the same boat, being rocked by the world. Too many of us think that we live independent lives when we really live interdependent lives. What we do and who we are has far-reaching effect, the ripples of which extend farther than most of us are aware and they extend into the lives of everyone we know, and most likely into the lives of individuals we don't know. This is a foundational theme in Philippians. We are interdependent. We don't float alone. We all have a Kevin or a group of Kevins in our boat, and we need them, and they need us. Someone has to bail water while you cut the rope. You can't do it on your own. You need Kevin, even if you're a bit irritated with him for getting you into the mess you're in. The first theme is learning to be interdependent, standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together. And how this plays out is the second theme. It's summed up in the term consideration, which is simply great thought over a period of time. Look at this concept of consideration or regard or thinking of others, developed by Paul in Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out for only yourself or your own interest, but take interest in others too. Why is it necessary for Paul to say this, especially in this moment? May I submit to you that the Bible does not instruct us to do things that are easy. Wake up in the morning, put your clothes on, eat breakfast, breathe, eat at lunch, put your shoes on, things like that. It doesn't tell you those things. May I submit that when you're in a boat taking on cold water, what is right is not what is natural. Therefore, this instruction is absolutely necessary in this moment. When you're in a small boat that is being beaten up in the ripple effect of a spiritual freighter or a demonic freighter or a practical freighter or an IRS freighter or a familial freighter, 
Whatever it may be, the temptation is to take out your frustration on those in close proximity to you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your co-workers, your neighbors. But it should not be so. It shouldn't be so in families, and it shouldn't be so in the church. It shouldn't be so in the workplace. We've got to wrap our heads around the fact that demons understand that they only need to rock the boat. The occupants often sink themselves. It's not natural to consider others and their interests as more important than yourself, but it's the key to cutting the rope from the buoy and bailing the water out of your boat. It's the key to keeping your boat from sinking in the ripple effect of life. When that first wave hit, Kevin and I didn't get out a notebook and have an official meeting. We didn't argue over who was going to cut the rope or who was going to untie. We didn't negotiate alternate options for the bait so that we could resume fishing when the waves died down. When the waves hit, there's no time to discuss, debate, or negotiate. The key was survival. And if you survive today, you can fish again tomorrow. In chapter 2, when Paul talks about humbling yourself, thinking of others as more important than yourselves, what does that look like for you? Are you a freighter, or are you a Kevin, or a Nate, or in a boat of Kevins and Nates? What do you need to sacrifice so the buoy rope can be cut for yourself and for the benefit of those who are dependent on you? I would challenge you to quiet your heart and mind and ask God to reveal areas of your life that need attention to this matter. Then to have the boldness to act upon it immediately. Remember these two themes. We are interdependent in this boat called the body of Christ, and we survive the ripple effect by humbling ourselves and considering others as more important than ourselves. I'm Nate Vineo, and this has been Something to Gnaw On. You can find me on Facebook by searching Something to Gnaw On. That page will have links to the podcast and other random notifications about the podcast. Lastly, if ever there was an episode to share, this may be it. If this or any other episode has been a blessing to you or you know someone who could really use this word, please feel free to share on your social media pages and help me get the word out. Till next week. God bless.